Welcome to Whatever Wednesday on the new Two Age Sojourner podcast thing where there's only three podcasts a week. Uh, so welcome to that Whatever Wednesday, whatever that is. Okay, so um, Mike and I recorded a session earlier, and uh, unfortunately, for various reasons, one of them being uh, that um, I disclosed some information that I shouldn't have disclosed, and the other uh, being that we had some technical issues with my microphone and all that kind of thing, meant that we can't air what we recorded uh, before, which is a bit of a bummer, because it was quite a fun conversation which ended in slow, snow leopards and kind of forming a new denomination where Baptists get to wear robes, but uh, all that is lost forever. So <clears throat> maybe that's a good thing. I think in God's providence, it almost certainly is a good thing. Um, however, we got what we got talking about on this whatever Wednesday after a lot of sort of other stuff was uh, the whole thing about fundamentalism. I don't know how much you know about fundamentalism, um, but I have been learning a lot about it because before I always kind of thought that fundamentalism was just a, a kind of almost like a derogatory term um, that we use about people who are radical and kind of naive or simplistic at the same time. Um, yeah, so you talk about fundamentalism in Islam, it's the radicals, the guys who are uh, getting up to all the terrorist nonsense, that's the kind of Islamic fundamentalism, and Christian fundamentalism might be, you know, those guys sort of picketing it, you know, outside saying God hates gays, or, <clears throat> you know, whatever that church is in the, in the States that does that, you know, that's kind of a Christianized uh, fundamentalism. And, um, and so it's just kind of like a little bit naive, not very thoughtful, trying to be, you know, almost a little bit superstitious in the way that they treat uh, Christian doctrine and Christian scripture. However, what I've come to realize is that um, while that may be true of the way we use the word today, fundamentalism goes further back than that and originally started as something very, very good. So originally, the fundamentalists were essentially the first um, evangelicals. But the, uh, it did become a thing where fundamentalism became different to what we call evangelicalism generally, generally today. So fundamentalism is a part of the evangelical movement. It's a kind of evangelicalism. But a lot of fundamentalists wouldn't regard themselves as evangelical because they see evangelicalism as being really quite quite liberal. Um, so uh, that that is that was news to me really. Um, I didn't really think of it that way. Originally, you had a lot of I mean a lot of really good guys uh, who were who wrote articles for the fundamentalist movement. Guys like Carl Henry guys like B.B. Warfield, um, all contributing essays and things, just trying to stand up for Orthodox Christianity in the wave of historic 
criticism coming from liberal Protestantism in Germany. And so a lot of guys were standing up for that, and they were trying to defend the faith and defend the orthodoxy of the faith. Um, and they were the fundamentalists, and they put together books outlining the fundamentals of the faith and defending them. <coughs> However, a fundamentalism um, became something became something else. It kind of evolved, and uh, not only was it trying to defend Orthodox Christian doctrine, it was also trying to defend a, a traditional way of living. So fundamentalism became associated not only with avoiding changes in Christian doctrine, but also avoiding changes in anything. Uh, Bible translations, what you wear to church, how you behave, should you dance or play cards, or uh, what kind of music you should listen to, um, all that kind of stuff became associated with fundamentalism. And it just became, in the eyes of most evangelicals today, something that was a little bit sort of narrow and judgy and not always as rooted in Scripture um, as they sometimes thought. So you might typically recognize a fundamentalist evangelical church today by, um, you know, you walk into a church and you see everybody's wearing a suit and tie in and of itself, not a bad thing. Um, you may wear a tie, a suit and tie, may not wear a suit and tie, that's not, not, not the issue, but add together with uh, maybe the fact that they only use the King James Version, and that they're all teetotal, and believe that you shouldn't dance, or have music in church, or that kind of thing, and you add all these things together, um, and uh, a woman wearing wearing hats and long dresses and, and and the whole the whole business and and suddenly you can almost be sure of it that you you're, you're in a more fundamentalist than evangelical church. There is a difference. Evangelicalism has typically sought to stand and defend orthodoxy of Christian doctrine, although it could be argued we're failing miserably at that, um, and has been less concerned with defending kind of traditional ways of being a Christian. Um, so evangelicals are likely to have tattoos, fundamentalists are not. Evangelicals are likely to use the ESV or the NIV, uh, fundamentalists are not. Evangelicals are likely to wear jeans and a t-shirt to church or a shirt and a shirt and trousers untucked or something like that, no tie, fundamentalists are not. Um, and so sometimes it can feel a bit like stepping back in time. Um, so what I just wanted to talk about, it's recently I've been thinking a bit about it. And um, like I say, the whole news of, of how fundamentalism became the fundamentalism that it is today has the same ancestry, if you like, as evangelicals. But it is something slightly different. And you know it's different for two reasons. One... Uh, is that they tend to do something called uh, double separation. Evangelicals have tended to separate themselves from non-evangelicals. So if a church or an institution goes liberal or goes rogue or commits some sort of heresy, and evangelicals will typically withdraw from that institution. A classic example of this would be um, of the withdrawing from Princeton, and the Presbyterian Church to form the OPC, 
and Westminster Theological Seminary. Um, but fundamentalism goes a step further. It does a kind of double withdrawal. So um, it will not only not associate with churches who have gone liberal, but will also not associate with churches who associate with churches who've gone liberal. And that's normally a difference, whereas evangelicals will so, uh, will have no direct connection to liberalism or to heresy. Fundamentalists will not have any connection with a direct or indirect. Um, which means that, let's say there's three churches in Felixstowe, one is an Anglican, one is a Baptist, and one is a Methodist, and the Methodist church is completely rogue and heretical and liberal, and the Anglican church is evangelical, but still chooses to do some things with the Methodist church, and the Baptist church not only withdraws from doing things with the Methodist church, but also from doing things with the Anglican church, then it's acting like a fundamentalist. If it chooses to withdraw from the Methodist church, which is liberal, but hang out with the, the Anglican church, which is evangelical, then it's acting like an evangelical church. So that's just a tendency. It tends to separate evangelicals and fundamentalists. The other thing is um, that uh, fundamentalism tends to have very strongly held opinions about things not necessarily clear in scripture. Things like whether or not Christians should drink alcohol. Things like whether or not you should wear a suit and tie to church. And those things tend to be very strongly held beliefs about what most evangelicals would class as secondary issues. Things of, of minor importance at best. Um, so the positives of it though is because I, I do want to point out that I'm, this is a critique of fundamentalism. But I, so I feel like I should just start by saying that the good thing about fundamentalism is that although in many fundamentalist churches it tends to be very Arminian and dispensational, uh, nevertheless their conviction that the Bible is true and that um, there is only one way of salvation through Jesus Christ and that that way must be proclaimed and they will do that contramundum against the world if they have to. That's a very good thing. Um, and it's something that I think evangelicals are inspired by and can appreciate and can thank God for. Um, where it's not so good is that, uh, and, and by the way, you don't only get Arminian and dispensational fundamentalists. You also get, you also get Calvinistic and Reformed fundamentalists. You get um, guys who uphold the Westminster in the 1689, um, but who act like fundamentalists. That happens on both sides of the covenantal spectrum. But the, uh, the, the problem with it is that it, it promotes a kind of orthodox Pharisaism. That's a major concern of mine. Um, I think I sort of tended this way in my own life in the past. And uh, I guess... Rather than, and we have to be careful because when we're critiquing a church movement or a church that behaves differently to ourselves, we've got to make sure that we're actually critiquing what they do rather than um, simply critiquing them because they're different to us or not how we would like them to be. So I want to be very, very careful. I have, I'm guilty of that in the past. I've had to check myself on this. I, I don't want to simply say, look, look, 
like the Salvation Army. It's weird. They wear uniforms. I'm not into that. Let's, let's, uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing that. I want to have real grounded theological concerns. Otherwise, ironically, I become the fundamentalist in this situation. So, um, my, my theological concern is that it becomes very pharisaic in the sense that while they maintain a doctrinal orthodoxy, I'm not going to disagree with them on what the gospel is or that it should be proclaimed or the authority of scripture. Um, what you might get is uh, also, in addition to that, other things, new laws, um, which are very, very strongly held. So the Pharisees, for example, um, did believe in the authority of Scripture. They did seek to uphold orthodoxy of doctrine. Um, that was one of their issues with Jesus, was that they were trying to uphold orthodox doctrine of God. They just didn't realize who, that Jesus was God incarnate, and, so, or, and eventually refused to recognize that. Um, so they had a kind of orthodoxy of doctrine, but they were almost more concerned with the traditions handed down to them by their forefathers and the rabbis and, and that kind of thing. So their criticisms of Jesus were often not because he was breaking any known command in the law. He never did. Their, his, their criticisms of Jesus was that he was breaking or disregarding the traditions uh, that they felt were very, very important. And so um, in fundamentalism, you get you tend to have that, a kind of, not only is the scripture taken very seriously, but also the traditions handed down to them, which aren't clear in the Bible, but are claimed to be biblical. Um, things like being teetotal. Again, I've got no problem with people being teetotal. If you want to be teetotal, be teetotal. But don't claim that anybody else has to do that in order to pursue godliness. I think this is the, the important thing. I think there's a lot of wisdom in Christians from time to time saying, do you know what? I'm not going to drink. I don't think it's the wise thing for me at the moment. I think um, it could potentially trip me up. I could potentially fall into bad habits with this, or I might give people the wrong impression. I'm just going to I'm just going to pull back from this, and that's within every Christian's conscience a, a a very sensible thing to do. But if we're then saying therefore other Christians need to do the same, or they're not truly living the Christian life or something, you're into kind of Colossian Galatian territory. It's just very unhelpful. You're into a modern day Pharisaism. And then the problem is you end up doing what the Pharisees did, which Jesus criticized them of when he called them hypocrites in Mark 7 and said, you elevate the traditions of men to the same level of scripture. So often folk have said, well, you know, uh, it, the, the King James only, but what is the basis? What is the biblical basis for that? It doesn't actually say in the Bible that you need the King James only or that you need teetotal or, uh, uh, to be teetotal or that you need to wear a suit and tie. Or It, it is never in kind of um, history been required that Christians need to do any of those things in order to grow spiritually, or even the insistence on having a quiet time. So, you know, we have to be careful of that because quiet times are a good habit, no doubt. Nobody disputes that, but they are not commanded in and of themselves in the scriptures. Uh, that you spend time meditating on the word, of course, that is, uh, but that that has to be done for a half hour, an hour in the morning before you go to work isn't. And so um, we just need to be very careful with those kinds of things, not to elevate tradition to the degree of scripture. But the other thing is, 
you know, um, and I've seen this from time to time in in ministry, is that it becomes a bit of a breeding ground for religious hypocrisy. Now, this could be true of lots of different settings, evangelical, fundamentalist, liberal, whatever, charismatic, non-charismatic. So this is not a, an accusation singled out at them, but at fundamentalists. But I do think there is something where um, you are creating new laws it does create an easy environment for hypocrisy to flourish because it's easier to keep human traditions than it is to actually love and serve God and others. Um, and so obviously we're going to tend, this is why people do it. This is why we tend to elevate traditions because it's easier to wear a suit and insist on a Bible version and insist on not drinking and insist on having a quiet time every day at a certain time of the day than it is to um, actually love God and love others. It's easier to do that. Which means that the more I see people fanatic about the traditions, the more I wonder what it is that they're hiding. And I've seen people who have been absolutely fanatical about these kind of extra biblical things, these traditions, good traditions, bad traditions, all traditions, and they've been handed down to us. And in the end, they've been hiding sins that are very, very serious and almost trying to overcompensate um, by, by upholding these traditions, because it's easier to do that. Um, and so we just need to be very, very careful that we don't allow ourselves to develop a kind of distorted view of what holiness actually looks like and to create a distorted view that means that holiness looks like keeping traditions that aren't actually required by the scriptures or required by God but that we've created because uh, they seem or have the appearance of godliness uh, in some way um, so we need to be careful not to distort it what is true Holiness, it is to become more Christ-like, which ultimately means that we grow in our love for God, in our worship of Him, and that we grow in our love for others. Um, this will look like obedience to God's Word, but it will look like obedience to God's Word, not obedience to man's traditions. And so we need to be very, very careful to make that, that distinction so that we don't end up distorting a picture of holiness. Um, my final critique is simply this, that it makes it weird. It makes Christianity a weird thing, like a relic from the past. Like you walk into a fundamentalist church and um, it's like walking into, moving into a time warp, where it's not only ancient truths that are proclaimed, no problem there, or um, it's not only that there are you know, certain preferences from an aging congregation that maybe seem a bit dated because the church is a bit aged, and that's okay. That's not the end of the world. But when it is on principle trying to hold back um, uh, any kind of change or modernization or or speaking the language or adopting of the, the culture of the world in any way, shape, or form, good or bad, um, then it just becomes weird. And it makes Christianity seem utterly bizarre. And um, obviously there's more that needs to be said about that. 
there is a right sense in which the gospel should be regarded as bizarre by the world, would be regarded as bizarre by the world. But I don't think the way that we dress um, or the way that we speak in terms of whether we're using Victorian English or modern English should be those should be the areas over which we make the world think that we're weird. Um, so that's on the whole, a kind of, you know, really surprised to learn that fundamentalism isn't just a derogatory term. There are a group of people who class themselves as fundamentalists and they tend to characterize by these things. And this is what I think the problem is. So how do we go forward? If you know someone who's a fundamentalist and you're an evangelical, perhaps you're listening to this and you think, you know what, I, I probably am a fundamentalist. Um, and uh, if you've heard some of these concerns, what do I do about it? Well, first recognize the good stuff. These are, for the most part, brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the family, that we love them. They believe the same gospel to us. Um, we rejoice in that. There's evidence of faith and love. But just like any church, there are areas where things maybe are going a bit astray. And in fundamentalism, the area where they will tend to go astray is the problem of elevating tradition and creating new laws uh, that either are the same in authority or even start to replace the authority of God's word in some way. And we need to watch out for that. Evangelicals can become Pharisees. Evangelicals can become religious hypocrites very, very quickly. And so we need to make sure that the picture of holiness that we're pursuing is actually the, the picture of holiness that is in the Bible. That our obedience is to God's word and to God and not to our tribe and to the traditions of our tribe or the stipulations of our tribe. So we need to be very, very careful of that. So um, if you're under pressure in a church like this, don't bow to the fear of man. Um, let your conscience uh, be stand or fall with the word of God alone. Um, and maybe think about uh, finding a church that knows how to make distinctions between God's law and uh, traditions, between um, one particular interpretation and all interpretations uh, that may potentially be valid for the, the, the Christian faith. Um, so let's treat, treat our, our fundamentalist brothers and sisters as they are. Brothers and sisters, let's love them. And let's lovingly try and encourage them gently, just to soften some of the edges, to begin to relax some of the traditions um, and uphold some of the, the actual commands of Scripture and be careful not to break the commands of Scripture in the way that we uphold traditions or expect others to do so. Um, so anyway, that, that's roughly where the conversation went. There was much more to say, much more that could be said. But um, thank you for listening. And um, Mike will be back with you next time. All righty. Uh, that's me. Over and out. Goodbye. Good night. Good morning. Whatever time of day it is for you. Thank you for listening.